So I was thinking about a story uh, that happened uh, a while ago as I was preparing for this message today. And uh, it's a story with my daughter. And so one day, we, we were living in an apartment at this time. And one day, my daughter, her name's Hope, by the way. She's awesome. Love, love Hope. She's, you know, she's like her mother. <laughs> Which means she's loud, and she's opinionated, she's a little feisty, and she's just a leader. And I love the leader that the Lord gave me in my daughter and my wife. God bless. It's Father's Day. I can say what I want, you know? Like, it's the one day you can just run your mouth and it's okay. And so she'll be here later. I'll edit that out. But anyway, uh, so, so my, uh, I was sitting on the couch and I hear this scream coming from my daughter. She was, uh, we were in an apartment at the time and she was on the balcony playing and I hear this scream and it was one of those screams that you hear as a parent and you're like, oh, like something terrible is happening. Like maybe her arm is getting sawed off, like something awful is happening. And it's, you know, like as a parent, there's like different screams. There's the like, oh, my brother hit me. There's that scream. And then there's the like, oh my gosh, like something awful is happening. So it was that scream. So I jump off the couch and I run out, you know, fling the door open and I see my daughter and she's, she's stuck. So she's on the, uh, on our balcony and she had did what little kids do. She stuck her head through the railing and she's screaming. So I did what every dad would do. And I yelled for my wife to come take a picture. You gotta, you, you gotta like document these moments. So I scream. I was like, "Baby, get the phone!" And then, you know, I thought it was funny at first. She was actually a little more stuck than I thought. And so our neighbor comes over, like she sees, and she's like an EMT or something, and she's like, "I don't know if we should call the fire department." I'm like, "I bet I could figure this out. I'm a dad." And so, with some dad skill. And some, you know, maneuvering after a few minutes, I finally got my daughter's head unstuck. And I tell you that story, one, because it's funny, but I also tell you that story because I believe that's where many of us find ourselves. See, there's seasons in life that you just feel stuck. And if you've ever been in the season where you feel stuck, you feel stagnant, it's a pretty uncomfortable season. It's a pretty unenjoyable season. You might have a lot of fear in that season. You might have a lot of worry, a lot of anxiety. Like my daughter, she was panicked, freaking out, and all she knew to do is scream for her dad. I came running, I fixed it. But I don't know where, where you might feel stuck or stagnant today. Maybe it's in your faith. You feel like, man, I, I love God, but my faith is just stagnant. It's kind of stuck. I don't, I don't know. It's not really moving forward. I'm not as passionate as I used to be. Maybe it's in your marriage that you just feel kind of like, yeah, I love, love her, love him. It's just not what it used to be. Maybe it's in your profession or what you feel like God's called you to do. You have all these dreams and you're kind of like, I just don't see how it's ever going to happen. So today what I wanted to do is just give you some wisdom when you find yourself in a season where you feel stuck. Because what's the, the, the reality is, whether that, per, whether that applies to you right now or not, one day it will. I'm here to encourage you today. One day you're going to feel stuck. One day you're going to feel stagnant. One day you're going to feel like I'm too far in it to back away, and I don't know how I can move forward. I just feel stuck. So whether that's you today or it's you in a few years, a few months, take some notes. I'm going to help you out because I'm going to give you four thoughts, four ideas of what to do when you feel like you're just 
stuck. And we're going to use the, there's lots of stories in the Bible we could use to talk about this, but I wanted to use the story of Joseph. So the story of Joseph, let me recap it for you. For all you Bible nerds in here, you'll be bored during this part. For everyone else, I'm going to help you out just recap the story for you. So the story of Joseph goes like this. He's, he's one of 12 brothers. Talk about some family dysfunction. Just the, just the fact there's 12 men in any family, that's a problem. So he's the youngest of the 12. And we all hate the younger brother. Amen. And if you're the younger brother, you're hated. It's fine. It's okay. And so the younger brother, and what's unique about the situation with the younger brother, he's one of 12, and he's the youngest. He's the most loved. He, he's daddy's favorite. And he gets special gifts from his daddy. And he gets sent on missions for his daddy to tell on his brothers for doing a bad job as shepherds. So everybody loves Joseph, you know? Everyone loves him. He's the family favorite. And so he's in this weird family dynamic where he's getting special treatments from his dad. Uh, he's, he's sent on missions for his dad to tell on his brothers and the bad job that they're doing. And so that's where Joseph finds himself. So within, so he, that's where he is in his family. And so one day he he's, goes to go check on his brothers like he had done many times. And it ends up being this just crazy situation because right before he goes to check on his brothers, he has two dreams. And I feel like Joseph, I think sometimes Joseph gets a bad rap because with these two dreams, he's just telling what happened. And I think sometimes people preach this and they say, well, Joseph is like rubbing it in their face. And maybe he did that. I feel like Joseph is just sharing what's on his heart, sharing what happened. Hey, he, he calls his brother and goes like, hey, I had a dream. This is the craziest dream. And then this dream, like I get elevated and y'all bow down to me. And the brothers are like, oh, the favorite. Yes, yes, we're going to serve you. God, I hate that guy. You know? <laughs> Then he has another dream. And in the dream, not only do his, do his brothers bow down to him, but his father and mother bow down to him as well. And they're like, dad's like, you're my favorite, but that, what, you're crazy, son. I ain't bowing down to you. So not only is he his favorite, not, now he's telling everyone his dreams. And his dream is that he would be in charge and his family would serve him. And so he goes to check on his brothers one day. They see him coming. They see him coming because he has this bright, beautiful coat that his dad had given him as a special gift that nobody has. So they see him off in the distance. He's coming. And they're like, you know what we should do? We should kill the dreamer. That's a messed up family. <laughs> like, I've thought of killing. No, I haven't actually thought of killing my brothers. But like, I've been frustrated. I've fought my brothers a lot. I've never thought about killing them. Definitely never conspired with my other brother to kill one of them. I'm one of three brothers. I'm in the middle. I don't like either because I'm stuck in the middle. <laughs> Older one got to do everything. The younger one got away with everything. I'm super screwed up. Pray for me. <laughs> so, he's, so they see him come and they're like, let's kill him. And then one of them is like, maybe we shouldn't kill him. Let's make a little money on the deal and let's sell him into slavery instead. So his compassion is filling his pocketbook. And this is where, so Joseph gets thrown in a pit. He gets sold into slavery. He goes from slavery to being wrongly accused of rape. From, from that situation, ends up in a prison cell. And he's in a prison cell for years. The whole story from the moment Joseph gets sold into slavery until the moment he eventually gets promoted is 13 years. 13 years. 13 years he had a dream, and 13 years he was stuck. 13 years he believed that God would do something in his life, and for 13 years it goes from bad to worse. 
And he's never moving forward. As soon as he thinks he's moving forward, he gets demoted. As soon as he thinks maybe this is it, he gets demoted. As soon as he thinks he gets the relationships that's going to lead to his destiny, it comes all crashing down. In a crazy turn of events, what happens is Joseph gets out of the prison, gets put as second in command of all of Egypt, and he's serving the king in a palace. But he was stuck for a long time. And what I've found to be true about our walk with God is a lot of times we're in a hurry, but God's not in no hurry. I think sometimes we want things to happen to me like, God, what's the plan? What's the vision? What's the dream? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And you get a glimpse of it. You're like, all right, I'm ready. Let's do it tomorrow. And God's like, no. Because I think God, well, I know God just sees things from a different point of view. And many times God is more concerned about what you're becoming and who you're becoming than what you do for his kingdom. And he will not promote you beyond your, your character's ability to sustain you. And sometimes we pray for things that we don't really want because if we got it, it would all come crashing down because our, our gifts got us in the room, but our character got us kicked out. And I think sometimes it's God's mercy that lets you get stuck. It's God's grace that lets you get stuck. Because who needs another person with bad character falling? We read about that way too much. We see it way too much. In Christian circles and non-Christian circles, we, we don't need another star that comes crashing down. Sometimes the greatest prayer you can pray is, God, don't, don't give me more influence than my character can sustain. God, don't give me any more influence than my character can sustain. So there's four things, though, that I feel like Joseph did. And he did these regular, you know what I wish I could do? Sometimes as a pastor, it's difficult. Because I wish I could promise you a bunch of things to alleviate the pain of the season of being stuck that you're in. I wish I could promise you, like, hey, just do these four things, and it's going to be better tomorrow. Who wouldn't like to hear that message? Like, here, here's, the t- here's the key to the kingdom. But here's what I've realized. A lot of times God gives you principles that have to be worked out over a consistent long time. And what you plant, you will reap, but there's a chunk of time in between. And we struggle with the time. So there's four things that Joseph did that I think are going to help you. And what I, what I know to be true is I can't get you out of the season of being stuck today. But I do believe if you apply these principles like Joseph did, you'll be on the path that God has for you. And eventually, as God develops your character, he'll promote you to where he wants you. Amen? Amen. So here's the first thing. Here's the first thing Joseph does. And this is the first thing you have to do. You have to see yourself as a servant. See yourself as a servant. See, Joseph he has these dreams. And in his dreams, he's being served. Everyone's bowing down to him. But God takes him on this path that no one is serving him, and he is serving everyone. God had to work that out of him, that that everywhere he goes, Joseph is serving. He serves his dad. He serves his brothers. He he gets thrown, uh, he he becomes a, a, a servant, and he's serving his master. He gets thrown in prison, and he's serving the jailer. He serves his cellmates. Eventually, he gets promoted, and he's serving Pharaoh. But everywhere he goes, he's serving. See, his promotion or his demotion didn't determine if he served. It just determined who he served. 
And if you have the mind of Christ, you and I are called by God to be servants. The greatest among you will be the servant of all. That's what God has called us as Christians to be. We serve others. That everywhere we go is an opportunity to serve. And every person I see is a person that I should be serving. Now, this isn't fun. Let's be honest. Every, every, think about this. If we were to have the mind of Christ, every, every room we walk in, we would be the lowest and the servant of all. That's painful. Because if you're anything like me, I like being served. Again, it's Father's Day. Today, I'm going to get served. I would love every day to be Father's Day. I get to eat what I want, go where I want. My wife gets to say, what do you want? What about this? And just, what do you want today? I would love it every day. It was Father's Day. But that happens once a year. <laughs> every other day, I'm the servant. Because let me, let me tell you this. If serving is below you, promotion is beyond you. God doesn't promote prideful people. The scripture would actually say that he resists prideful people. If you look at that word in the original language that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble, the word in the original language is, an, is a military term that God lines up to fight against the proud. There's an army over here. There's an army over here. They are, that is armies resisting one another. That is the picture that God gives of the proud. When you choose to be prideful and choose not to serve, God lines up to fight against you. You're not going to win that. You with me? You're not going to win a fight against God. I want God on my side. And that's why I said God gives more grace to the humble. When I humble myself, I position myself to receive God's grace and strength to accomplish that which I have on my heart and mind to do. If I want God fighting against me, be prideful. Serve no one. And it won't work very well. You might get promoted at your job, but you'll never get promoted in the kingdom. There's this passage. I love this passage in Matthew 20. The disciples, again, there's 12 guys. The disciples come on, and they're they're bragging about who's going to be the greatest. I love this passage, because that'd probably be me. Got a bunch of guys off to the side, like, who's the greatest? Who's Jesus' favorite? Who's the best? Who's going to inherit the most? Who's going to do the most? They're off bragging. Jesus comes up on them. is like, what y'all talking about there? Nothing. Nothing. Don't talk about anything. <laughs> I'm here to serve Jesus. <laughs> Nothing. And he's like, no, y'all talk about something. What you talking about? And they're like, you, who, who's going to be the greatest? <laughs> and I love Jesus' response. Because he doesn't rebuke them for wanting to be great. He actually teaches them how. And how, he says, the greatest among you will be the servant of all. He doesn't rebuke their desire for greatness. He doesn't get mad at them. He doesn't tell them, like, oh, you bunch of fools. How long do I have to tell you? Like, I'm, you? He doesn't say any of that. He says, you want to be great? I will tell you how to be great. You want to be the greatest ever. I'll show you how to be the greatest ever. Serve. Be the lowest See, every time you see someone, you see a person that God expects you to serve. When you walk in this room, you're the servant. When you walk on your job, you're the servant. When you walk in your home, you're the servant. But, you know, I'm the spiritual head of my home. Yeah, serve. 
But I'm, I'm, the, I'm the owner of the business. Serve. I'm the, I'm the leader of the church. Serve. See, everywhere you go, it's just an opportunity to serve. And Joseph said, Joseph just served everyone. If I'm in prison, I'm not serving no one. I'm off in the corner crying. <laughs> hoping I don't get beat up. That's what I'm doing. But Joseph's like, I'm going to be the best prisoner this guy's ever seen. He's a slave. I'm going to be the best slave this guy's ever seen. And it's because he was willing to consistently serve that God counted him faithful to lead. And even when he was leading, he was serving. You know, my first ministry experience, I was a, just graduated Bible college, and uh, I decided to go be a missionary in Africa. And so I spent six months in Africa um, doing, like, just all kinds of different ministry stuff. And um, specifically, I worked with this one missionary about half the time I was there. And this lady um, was like God's gift to my humility, you know? She was a blessing for my character, you know, just one of those. And so I remember this one time we were sitting down to eat dinner, and we were with some of her, um, some of uh, a friend of hers um, who was local, and, and she was, you know, just, it was her friend. And so one, we're, we're sitting at dinner, and it's just the three of us, and she looks at her friend, and it's like, hey, uh, she looks at me, excuse me, and she says, hey, Justin, can you go get, you know, blah, blah, blah out of my car? I don't remember what it was. And I was like, yeah, sure. So I get up, and I walk away. I get, I'm here, she's here, friend there. I get up and walk around the table. As I'm walking around the table, she points at me, and she goes, see, he's my little errand boy. So I elbowed her in the face. No, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't say a word. I shook my head. I said, Lord, thank you for growing my character. As much as I wanted to kick her in the ear, I didn't. As much as I wanted to quit, I ain't no errand boy. I didn't say a word, got what she needed, handed it back to her, sat down, shut up. You want to know if you have a servant's heart? You want to know. How do you act how do you respond when someone treats you like one? I, you know, if you think, I'm a servant, I'm servant, okay. How do you respond when your boss acts like you're a servant? I have a servant's heart, okay. How do you act when your kids act like you are their servant? And that's all children. They do that every day. I mean, you get free practice. Is something in you just rise up and say, ah, better than that? You don't know who I am. You don't know my title. Title, chief servant. There, there it is. I don't care if you're the CEO, you're a servant. So wherever you go, find somewhere to serve. Here's the second thing Joseph does that you have to do. You have to be faithful even when you don't feel like it. See, faithful, faithfulness isn't tested until you're frustrated with where you're at. It's the same way with submission. Submission isn't tested when there's agreement. Submission isn't tested until there's disagreement. I don't submit to my boss. I don't, I don't submit to the Lord until I disagree. Submission is tested the moment I disagree, and faithfulness is, is tested the moment you're frustrated. Can you stay faithful when you don't feel like it? 
Can you serve when you don't want to? Can you be consistent when things don't work, like, work out like you want? You have to be faithful. Because scripture would say, he who's faithful with little becomes ruler over much. And if you're not faithful with what is someone else's, why would God give you your own? This is a verse that I've just been like, has been ringing in my ears for years. Like, if you're not faithful in little, you, you won't be given much. And if you're not faithful with what is someone else's, I'll never give you your own. You want to be the business owner? How, you want to be, you know, the manager? You want to be in charge? You want to grow? You want to be promoted? That's a great desire. Be faithful where you are. Stay, com- stay committed. Stay consistent. In today's day and age, it is easy to get offended, get frustrated, and just self-eject. But I think many times what we do, we self-eject, our, we, we eject ourselves from God's process of development because we refuse to be faithful. Because God's all about growing you, not promoting you. God cares way more about who you are than what you do. Way more. And this is painful for me. I have to learn this and practice this all the time. That I'm like, Lord, I just, there's so much in my heart to do for you. It's all for your kingdom, God. It's like, be faithful. Yeah, but what about all the stuff I want to do? Be faithful. Yeah, but I've been faithful. When's my time? When you can be faithful and you stop asking that question. See, I think sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is just show up. When everyone's leaving their marriages because it's difficult, stay faithful. When everyone's quitting because they're not being promoted like they want, faithful. When everyone's leaving every church because, oh, the pastor, he, he's offended me. Welcome to the club. You're going to get offended. Everyone will be offended. You will be offended. I'll be offended. Here's the reality. Offense has to be taken by you. No one has the power to offend you. No one. You have to take the offense. And if we're faithful, we can be unoffendable. That it just... Now, sometimes you're offended. Go have a conversation. That's, that's Bible. Matthew 18. Someone sends against you, go have a conversation. Don't post about it. Have a conversation. That conversation doesn't go, well, get some other people involved. Have another conversation. That doesn't go, well, maybe there's an irreconcilable difference. But don't... You've you got to work a process and continue to be faithful. Amen? Here's the third thing. Ooh, this one's painful. Choose to forgive and keep an open heart. Choose to forgive and keep an open heart. See, let me, I would say outside of Jesus Christ himself, one of the most powerful just stories of forgiveness is this story with Joseph. Because as you're tracking with this story, Joseph, for 13 years, he goes from slave to prisoner to promoted. There's about nine years that he's serving Pharaoh before his dream comes to pass. And his dream was that his family would serve him. His family would bow down to, bow down to him. That was the, the dream that God told him and showed him. So 22 years from the, the night of his dream to the fulfillment of his dream. It's 22 years. 20, 22. God's timetable is just very different than ours. Amen. So it's 22 years. 
his brothers finally come to him. They, they don't even know who he is because he's dressed all different. He, has, you know, he looks Egyptian. They never thought in a million years their brother would be the person. But how it all happened is there's a famine in the land. Joseph is stewarding the resources of all of Egypt to make sure they are uh, sustained through the famine. His brothers need food, so they come to Joseph, who's managing all of this. And they come to him. And the, what, this is crazy to me what Joseph doesn't do. He had the power to execute them, and he doesn't execute them. If I'm the younger brother who was a slave, then a prisoner, I'm doing all kinds of crazy things. But he doesn't do any of that. Here's the passage with the interaction. It's the first time they, f- they know who he is. Genesis 50, verse 20. It says, as for you, he's ta- Joseph is talking to his brothers. Say, you meant evil against me. You meant evil against me. But God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to keep many people alive. And this, this is crazy. Therefore, he says, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforts them and he speaks kindly to them. Talk about a crazy amount of forgiveness. You're looking in the face of the people who caused you to be sold into slavery, thrown in prison for 13, not six months, 13 years. And you now have the power to do whatever you want, and no one would question you. And he looks him in the face, says, you meant that for evil, but God meant it for good. That's a crazy amount of forgiveness. And not only does he forgive them, he keeps an open heart towards them. He comforted them. So there's a couple of things with this forgiveness that, that one, those two verses just line out that he did. The first thing, when it comes to forgiveness, he says, you meant, you meant evil. To forgive doesn't mean you don't acknowledge what they did was wrong. Like, you meant evil. You sold me into slavery. You contemplated killing me. That was evil. You were evil. There is right, there is wrong, there is evil, there is good. What you did, homie, that was evil. To forgive someone doesn't doesn't mean that you never talk about what they did. To forgive someone doesn't mean you forget. There's this phrase within Christianity that I absolutely hate, that uh, forgive and forget, forgive and forget. If I forget what you did, I set myself up to be abused continually. I'm not in a relationship with an abuser. I will forgive said abuser, but I don't, I don't is, forgive, forgetting and forgiving is silly. It's unwise. But I don't have to hold what you did against you. I don't treat you different based on what you did because love remembers no suffered wrong. Meaning, love doesn't treat you in light of what you did. Love covers a multitude of sins. Doesn't forget a multitude of sins. So when it comes to forgiveness, I I choose to forgive you knowing full well what you did. Then I look you in the face and say, that was evil. And I forgive you. That was evil, and I'm not going to treat you any different. That was evil. That was wrong. I'm going to treat you any different. 
The second thing he does, so he, he acknowledges what they did was wrong. Second thing he does, he sees God's hand involved in the situation. So you, you meant that for evil, God meant it for good. Because all things work together for the good of those who love God who are called according to his purpose. That even the plans of the enemy, God turns around and uses them for my benefit. See, what I, what I, what I realized with God's plan, it's his plan. Meaning, God's plan for your life is his plan for your life, and you don't have to manipulate God to make it happen. You just have to stay in step with what he's doing. And I forgive along the way. You're going to be hurt. You will be offended. It doesn't mean what they did was right. Some, if we talked about the things in our lives that hurt us, the people who would hurt us, man, we would all be like, wow, that is tough. We'd all cry together and hug each other, and it'd be a painful moment. But you can still, you can still acknowledge that, forgive anyway, and move forward. Doesn't mean what they did was right. Doesn't mean you deserved it. Doesn't mean any of that. It just means that because Jesus forgave me, I forgive you. There's this parable. This, two, two, um, this guy owed, say, just make up this giant number, a million dollars. He owed this man a million dollars. And he says, hey, you're forgiven. I forgive the debt. Someone owed him $100. He goes to the guy who owes him $100, say, pay the debt, pay the debt, pay the debt. And he's like, I'll do anything. Please forgive me. He's like, I'm not forgiving you. He doesn't pay the debt. Jesus tells that parable to say, hang on. You owed me a massive debt that you could not pay. Who are you to withhold a debt from someone else? Because if you and I struggle to forgive, and I totally understand. Depending on the situation, it's very hard to forgive. But in light of what Jesus forgave me, what they did to me is nothing. What I did to Jesus doesn't pale in comparison to what they did to me. And only in light of his forgiveness can I forgive. Doesn't mean it's easy, but it is not optional. Doesn't mean it's fun. Doesn't mean it's enjoyable. But because of what he did for me, I can forgive you. The last thing when it comes to their forgiveness <clears throat> that we see with Joseph. Not only did he forgive them, he acknowledged the wrong. He, choos he chose to forgive them anyway. But he actually desired their good and tried to help them. How do you know if you've really forgiven someone? When you can pray for them and your prayers aren't, God, kill them. God, just kill them. It might start there. I've been there. I relate to a lot of David's psalms. He's like, Lord, break the teeth of the wicked. I'm like, yes, that is what they need. Smite them. Smiter, get them. Old Testament fire and brimstone. Get them. Make the earth swallow them whole. They deserve it. When you can actually pray for them and you pray for their good. It's a step. The first time you decide to do that, it might go, God, I pray you bless them. God, I pray they live today. But as, as you forgive, you can begin to pray for them like you wish someone would pray for you. Here's the last thought. With Joseph, you have to believe 
for the promise, but trust God's plan. Joseph had a long journey. And I'm sure there were days that he was faith-filled and excited and said, God, you're going to do it. I'm sure when he got promoted a little bit as a slave, he's running his slave owner's affairs. He's like, maybe this is how God's going to do it. Then he gets thrown in a dungeon. And he's like, okay, God, a little detour, a little tough. And then all of a sudden he's running the jail. He's like, maybe my brothers get thrown in here and they bow down to me because I'm in charge of the jail. I don't know how God's going to do it. That would be, I, I. But he just continues to believe the promise even though he's promoted and demoted, promoted and demoted, promoted and demoted. It goes good, it goes bad. It goes good, it goes bad. It goes good, it goes bad. He just trusts God's plan. I said this earlier, but I think it's worth repeating that striving ends the moment you realize that God's plan for your life is his. It's his. It's his job to promote you. It's his job to fulfill the dream that he placed in your heart. It's his. And your job is just not to fight with him. Stay in the process and allow him to promote you when the time is right. Just don't self-eject. Don't self-sabotage. Stick with the plan. You know what I've found when it comes to our relationship with God? That it requires a bunch of faith. You know, we're called believers for a reason. One of the, like, you're, you're a believer. Believers, what do they do? They believe. And it's going to take a lot of faith. See, God will not give you a life that requires no faith. For him to do that, it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. A life without faith is a life that would be unpleasing to him. So he will purposely position you to walk by faith. And it's hard. It's not easy. But you can walk by faith because you're walking with him. So today, wherever you find yourself, are you stuck? Are you trapped? Are you stagnant? You don't know how, God, I don't know how you're going to get me through this. I don't know how we're going to move forward. I don't know how we're going to do it. There's just four things. They won't fix it today, but they'll fix you, and then God will promote you when he desires. So just see yourself as a servant. What am I doing in this season where I feel stuck? I'm just serving. I'm serving everybody. What else? You're staying faithful when you don't feel like it. You're choosing to forgive and keeping an open heart. And you just keep believing and keep trusting that God is working this out for my good. Amen? Amen. Why don't you close your eyes and bow your heads with me real quick. You know, this whole morning I've been talking about just when you feel stuck. When you feel like you're trapped. You feel like you can't move forward. Things are stagnant. I don't want to do two things. If, if you feel like that's you, like that just describes the season you feel like you're in. I just want you to lift your hand. I'm going to pray for you first. If that's you, just lift your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you, point you out. But if you're like, man, I feel stuck. That was so, so me. Just lift up your hand. I'm going to pray for you real quick. Father, I just pray for every single person in this room that's feeling stuck, feeling stagnant, feeling like they can't move forward. Father, I just pray that you begin to work with them, that you walk with them through their pain, through the process. Father, that they would know that you're with them, that you will never leave them, you'll never forsake them. 
that you are one that sticks closer than a brother. And I pray, God, as they continue to walk out their journey in obedience, that you would open doors that no man can shut. In Jesus' name, amen. Stay in a moment of reverence. If you're here this morning, if you just never made a decision to follow Jesus, you know, I was talking about the debt that we owe him, we couldn't pay. We don't, we don't earn his salvation. We don't earn his forgiveness. It's a gift to each one of us. So if you're here this morning and you, you know you're not right with, with the Lord, you know, you know you're not fully surrendered your heart and life to him, but this moment you say, Justin, I'm, I'm ready to make that decision. I'm ready to make him Lord. I'm ready to receive the forgiveness that he has for me. I just want you to, again, I'm not going to embarrass you, point you out, anything like that. I just want to pray for you. If that's you, can you lift up your hand? You're saying, I'm making a decision to follow Jesus this morning. Anybody in the room, online, say, I'm making a decision to follow Jesus this morning. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for every single person in this room or online that's making that decision. God, as they make their faith confession to you, public to you, as they acknowledge you as Lord and Savior, God, I pray that you just begin to work in their lives in a fresh and a new way. As they commit everything to you, God, I pray that you walk with them, teach them, train them, show them your grace, show them your mercy. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.